You show up in so-and-so's office. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You show up with a dozen people, maybe you get some attention. You show up with a hundred people, okay, you show up with a thousand people, ten thousand people, a hundred thousand people. That's how these things change. Welcome to the Paul Engel Show. I'm Jim. And I'm Dan. And this episode is being brought to you by the Constitution Study. We got a lot of good feedback on when Paul Engel from ConstitutionStudy.com was on talking about the Constitution. And we said we wanted to bring him on more and more. And he actually reached out to us. Uh, We had an episode going on. He reached out because he said he was listening to it. And while he was listening, he's like, oh, I wish I could get in there. I wish I could say this. I wish I could say that. And then he heard us bring him up talking about how we want to have him back. So he reached out and he's like, hey, anytime. He's like, I got a show for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's what happened here. So don't get it twisted. This is still Plot Bus America. But right now, Jim and I, we're just going to let this go. Yeah, this is this is going to turn into the Paul Engel show for sure. We're just going to have questions for him. Yeah, this is something that is uh, near and dear to Paul's heart. And what we're going to talk about today is how much of the government is actually illegitimate. If the government were to go right back to the original constitution, how much of the government would disappear overnight? And that's scary because a lot of people depend on the government. Oh, they do. Uh, The last number I checked, there was uh, almost 19 million Americans working for the government. You have to imagine some of them stick around like the military and all that. But the number you start, you know, hey, I guess there won't be any job shortages if they lose their job tomorrow. Absolutely. So let's bring them in. Paul, welcome to the show again, or welcome to your show, I guess. Hey, Dan, welcome to Paul's show. <laughs> hey, thanks, Jim. You're welcome to Paul's show, too. <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> you guys are nuts. You know, hey, listen, I, I, we, like a, we've been I'll called worse by better. You guys go take a nap or something. <laughs> <laughs> listen, we had great feedback. People loved you. I think we fixed our audio problem with you. Although what nobody did see was us trying to do video with you just now. We were like three grandpas. Oh my God. Trying to figure this out. We're all trying to get our VCRs to stop flashing 12. (laughs) That was, uh, yeah, that was a wreck, but we got to be on channel three. Exactly. Get up on the roof. So Paul, do you have a Mount Rushmore of unconstitutional government agencies that you can think of off the top of your head? Or is there one that really gets your goat that you you hate? Well, let's first off, why don't we wow everybody? If you had to put a percentage on how much of the government would disappear overnight, if we got back to the original constitution, what do you think that percentage is? About 90% of the executive branch would disappear overnight. 90%. 90%. So let me, let me set this up. I have this thing I've been doing. If I can prove to you in two minutes, quoting only the Constitution and the Supreme Court of the United States, that the CDC does not legally exist, would that be of interest to you? Listen, yes, yes, it would be. Two minutes. Who's got the stopwatch? Who's got the stopwatch? Hold on, hold on. I will, because I don't think you could. (laughs) Two minutes. Look, obviously, obviously, you know that you can do this. Um, Yeah. But. (laughs) I don't, I don't understand how you could do this in two minutes. All right, hold on. I can get a lot done in two minutes, Jim. All right, here we go. Yeah, so I've heard. Here we go, and you ready? Yep. Go. So the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution, says the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Only laws of the United States made pursuant to that document are also considered supreme. Now, the Tenth Amendment says that a power not delegated to the United States doesn't belong to it. They cannot exercise it. Look all you want to the Constitution. You will not find public health as a power delegated to the United States. Some people will claim it's the General Welfare Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, which says that Congress can collect taxes from, among other things, 
the general welfare of the United States, capital U, capital S, proper noun, verse and proper noun each in the 10th Amendment. Congress claims it's part of the Commerce Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, which says Congress can regulate interstate commerce, commerce between the states, but the CDC doesn't enact interstate commerce. This regulates public health. And besides, they can regulate the commerce, not the products in commerce. I've even heard congressmen claim that it's the necessary and proper clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 7, Clause 18, which says that Congress can make all laws necessary and proper to put into effect the powers of the United States. Since this is not, the CDC does not enact the power of the United States, it is neither necessary nor proper for Congress to have made such a law. Therefore, the law that created the CDC is not made pursuant to the Constitution. It is not the supreme law of the land. According to the Supreme Court in Madison, Marbury versus Madison, act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void. That means the legislation that created the CDC is void. That means it doesn't legally exist. And it means all the money we spend on the CDC is taken fraudulently. We call that embezzlement. Mm-hmm. Time. Uh, you still have 20 seconds left if you want to talk about something else. <laughs> if, he, if he wants to keep exciting you, Jim. Listen, I will tell you this. I will put our Constitution guy up against your Constitution guy any day. Any day. That was incredible. Well, he is our listener's that. Constitution guy. So if you have the receipts, you literally just laid out the receipts. How come no one has put those receipts in front of the people that need to see them? I.e. Uh, Supreme well, Court. And, and and what's the word when you go and you do this and you tell these lawmakers this? What do they say? Well, so far, I've only really used this against state legislators. It, it, it's meant as a wake-up call. I want to get their attention. When I was, uh, last time we were talking about my Save Our Children for Medical Experimentation Act, I went to a, a congressional state legislators and I was trying to get them to consider this legislation. So I wanted to find a way to get them going. So I said, if I can prove that the CDC does not legally exist in two minutes, will you look at my legislation? Now, I haven't seen anybody work at it yet. But the main reason people don't do this is most people don't know. We are universally, almost constitutionally illiterate. Uh, Most people don't know what the Constitution says. Most people that think they know what it says actually have been told what some other person thinks it says. There's a story I saw on, on uh, a video platform that shall not be named. The people who make uh, Monopoly were getting some really weird calls on their helpline. So they set up a poll, they did a survey, and they found that 60-some-odd percent of the people who play Monopoly never actually read the rules. Someone tells them how to play, and they play by those rules to the point where, uh, I think it's uh, was a Parker Brothers owns that, mm-hmm. they actually added what are called house rules because people were not reading the rules. Now, if you're talking about playing a board game, okay, that's one thing. If you're talking about running a country, I think that's a big deal. But yet, again, most people are universe. They, they've never heard explained, again, in just two minutes, the very simple fact that most of what the federal government does is illegal. What's amazing is said, the, what you just laid out here in two minutes, and you were talking fast. If people who are listening to this go back and you get your arguments from that one minute and 40 seconds uh, that, that, that Paul just laid out, you will be able to argue the CDC with anybody, anybody. The CDC, the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, on and on and on. Well, and I guess, way, yes, I guess I'm, that's right. I'm going to make a video of that. 
and I'm going to post it on my website probably I'm trying to do it by the end of the week. I guess that's right. So it's not, that's not CDC specific. That is no, that's department of education. That's yes. That's everybody. It almost be, it almost be a smaller list to tell us which ones are constitutional. (laughs) You're right. No, it 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 definitely would be. Then we can make our Mount Rushmore and then get the, get the ax out and start chipping away, chopping it down. How about, and this is one that's always confused me. Uh, how about, I hate them, but I don't know if they are legally allowed to exist. The Bureau of Land Management. Ooh. Ooh, that's a big boogeyman. The answer is yes, but. So, <laughs> don't you yes, but me? <laughs> Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> yes, but you all I want. It's Paul's show. He can do whatever oh, he wants, sorry, Dan. Continue. <laughs> Congress has the ability to legislate over the District of Columbia, uh, forts, magazines, and other needful buildings. Now, the fact that the United States owns vast tracts of the Western U.S. is a cop is a statement for another day. But since Congress can own land, right? Since the United States can own land, if Congress says we want a Bureau of Land Management to manage our land for us, they can do that. The but comes in with, but they're only limited to the District of Columbia, forts, magazines, and other dockyards and other needful buildings. So basically, I mean, there nobody's arguing that they have the right to oversee their military installations. Nobody's arguing ports, but the large swaths of land out west that they lay claim to, why are the states not fighting them on that? You have to understand how Congress got to how the government got to own such large parts of the West. It actually starts with Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, the the Louisiana Purchase. See, Thomas Jefferson was in a difficult situation. The Constitution did not authorize him to purchase land, but he had a, he had a problem. See, there was going to be a war. And the only way to stop the war was for the United States to basically take over what became known as Louisiana Purchase from the French, right? If I buy it from the French, then the Spanish won't come in and we won't have a war. But even Jefferson recognizes, I don't have the legal authority. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy it, even though it's not constitutional. I'm going to hope that Congress comes along and fixes this problem for us. Well, the problem is, and and again, he was in a very tough situation. I, I I don't envy him, you know, uphold the Constitution or plunges into yet another war just a couple decades after our War of Independence. That was his decision, but Congress never followed up. I would have loved to have seen an amendment to the Constitution proposed that said, listen, that there are certain situations by which the United States can purchase land and put limits on it. Never happened. So we have all this territory. And now, of course, you know, the United States wants to move west, you know, head west, young man. So they say they send out homesteaders and, and grant land grants and all that. And now you have all these populated territories that they want to become states. So in order, Congress has the ability to allow states into the union. They do this through what's called an enabling act. You start looking at the enabling acts and what you find is one of the requirements for becoming a state, you have to form you have to have a state constitution. It has to be a Republican form of government. It has, you have to form a state government. And by the way, all public land must be turned over to the United States 
to be disposed of. Not dispersed? Not dispersed, disposed of. Now, each one's a little different, but that's base, That's the general language. Of but there's also, I mean, there, there, there's also stipulation on the states that would border that new state, right? Uh, don't they have to agree to it? Well, they would, they would obviously they would agree to a border, right? Here's the border. That, that's part of the enabling act, right? But if the states it, don't it, agree to it, the, the government can't just come in with their big swaths of land and say, okay, this is... This is the new state of Democratia. We're, we're going to send all, all of our immigrants there. They can't just do that. Didn't they do it with a, the Western Reserve? State or, <laughs> a state or territory has to request access to the union. Right? Congress can't force them. But as part of this, remember, they had to turn over their land to the United States to be disposed of. Now, I, I don't have a lot of good evidence for this, but the expectation would be this was land owned by the United States. Right? It's public land that the United States would take it, and then they would do something with it. Right? They finish land grants and do other things to do this. And what's interesting is if you look east of the Mississippi, there is very little land by percentage that's owned by the United States. You go west of the Mississippi, there's more. You get out by the Rockies. And I think something like 85% of, yeah. of Nevada is owned by the United yeah. States. We've all, we've all seen the maps, and we'll share it on our page, that shows the whole state in yellow, and the outside rim is white, and then it's like the yellow is what the BLM owns. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. I guess my my initial question still stands in, in, in simple terms, why aren't the states fighting this? I mean, where in the Constitution is the, is the government, and I understand what you said about Thomas Jefferson, but where does it give the government the right to just come in and take over land that's not a fort, a magazine, the district. It doesn't. But again, you're dealing with bribery. Right? Is this where and, the butt comes in? Is, is this the yes yeah, but? No, this is, understand, the answer to both questions is pretty much the same. You are a territory, territorial governor. You're, you're a representative. You're some part of the territory. You want to become part of the United States because there are benefits to being part of the United States as a state rather than simply a territory. You want this to happen, how far will you negotiate to get this? Okay, the federal government says they're going to take this this land, but they're, they're going to dispose of it. If I, if, I, if I think what they're going to do is they're going to do something with it, they, you know, sell it, do something, get rid of it, then I, I anticipated that this vast tracts of public land would eventually become private land. Maybe they'd sell it back to the state because the state's allowed to own land. But why do they keep doing it? Well, what do you think would happen if, uh, say, the state of Nevada simply said, listen, uh, BLM, um, the, the federal government, you don't have the legal authority to own this land. We're taking it over. Hmm. Uh, do you know any any politician with enough of a backbone to even consider that? I mean, they'd be quaking in their boots with the mere suggestion of that. Well, agreed, unless we could get the Bundys to run for Congress. Uh, they had a little run-in with BLM. And someone lost their life over it. Right. Yeah, it was Cliven, yeah. I think. But, yeah, but they were able to make them back down after it got so much media scrutiny and enough people saddled up. And right. they actually, they didn't really report on the fact that they that they won that standoff. It, well, at great cost. But at great cost, it, but they won it. Isn't that the point, though? They won it when people found out about it and came to their support. So and if you, you want a Nevada or a Utah or any of these states if you if they want to be sovereign again, they must have enough people in those states that are willing to stand up and say no to the federal government and be willing to 
if necessary, fight Man, to People, are you listening to this? Are you listening to this? And listen, don't misunderstand anything we're saying, right? We're, we're not saying you stand up to the federal government with arms. We're not saying that there's a revolution. We're not saying there's a war against the federal government. What we're saying is that you approach your representatives and say, look, we're enough, enough. We want our land back. This is Nevada land. And if I guess it's Nevada, right? This is Nevada land. No, this side of the Mississippi is Nevada, bro. <laughs> but this is Nevada land. We want it back. And if you're not going to go fight for it, then we're going to find somebody who will. But nobody's well, will. nobody does it, yeah. that. It, it, that's the point. Is you need to find employees, representatives, that understand the Constitution, that can make that constitutional argument that and, and hire them into these positions rather than, you know, the milquetoast politician that simply says, here, I'll promise you goodies to buy your vote. Or how many of the politicians are attorneys? And I think you're the one that brings this up all the time, right? Is uh, these attorneys go through school. None of them study the constitution. They all study constitutional law and loopholes, but they don't study the constitution. So good point. I've only met one. I've only met one lawyer so far that said, that they studied the Constitution in law school, not constitutional law. Right. And it's the difference between it's the difference between reading the Monopoly rules and having somebody tell you how to play the game Monopoly. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. They free. Dude, that's it hey, right there. Hey, free parking in my house is different than what the board says for free parking. <laughs> okay. Because it's my house. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we move on, let me ask you, and you may not know the answer to this. Has the federal government those large swaths of land that they have. And, you know, we're hearing about China coming in and buying up all this farmland, just tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres. Has the federal government sold any American land to foreign governments that you know of? Not that I'm aware of, but the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. True. Because <laughs> he said no, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, you're just going to hang up on that. You're like a dog with a bone. But Uh, the one that always comes to mind with people, CDC for sure. But the one that always comes to mind is the department of education. And I used to know the numbers. Do you know the numbers off the top of your head, what their annual budget is and the number of employees? Not off the top of my head, but I do have some interesting statistics for you. All right. So when I was researching my book, I found this website called the A to Z Index of U.S. Government Departments and Agencies, and I did some calculations. Now, this website lists 659 different U.S. Government Department and Agencies. So I dug through them, and I found a couple of, of things, one of which is extremely disturbing. What, that was A to this Z what? Index of U.S. <laughs> Government Departments and Agencies. Index. Uh, there we go. Let me just jump in there and tell you that the U.S. Department of Education has a $68 billion budget, according to 2016 numbers, and uh, almost 4,000 employees formed 43 now, years ago. Well, so, so when I, I look at this list, 659 individual departments, 659 now. Now, there are, that includes, by the way, all 50 states, six territories, the two houses of Congress, five courts, and 53 duplicate agencies, right? This is government work. It doesn't have to make a lot of sense. But you realize that the federal government believes that the states are departments of the federal government. There's problem number one, big problem number one. Everybody at the bank that I talk to thinks that the Federal Reserve is part of the federal government. Yeah. 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 Uh, So let's weed out all the, the duplicates, the stupid. We're left with 537 departments and agencies 
in the federal government. So I decided to do a test. I went through each and every one of them, and I tried to be generous, right? Like I said, BLM. Yeah, my getting, most of what BLM does isn't constitutional, but I can make a constitutional argument that the BLM should exist, just not as big as it is. Mm-hmm. Guess how many departments and agencies I found that had a constitutional, I, I could find a constitutional power that, that the federal government was exercising through that agency. I'm going to guess less than 10. Oh, more than 10. Oh, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. I was hoping yeah, that it was truly. Yeah. You're hoping single digits. Yeah, man, I was. Yeah. I was like, these sons of yeah. bitches. <laughs> there are 49 agencies. And remember. How many agencies are there? You said almost uh, 537. Almost 600. Okay. Total? That's once I weed out the duplicates and the, the states and the okay. courts and whatnot. Okay. So, yeah, that's 537. So, basically, 90% of those departments and agencies do not, cannot exercise the power delegated to the United States by the Constitution. That number is amazing to me, too, because if you, there's no way I could have guessed. And I know how fat the government is. There is no way that yeah. I could have put that number on it. And that's weeding out now, the duplicates. Yeah. That's weeding out the, so I got, there's another way to look at this, and that is spending. So I, I just Monday posted an article called The Cost of Our Constitutional Literacy. And in there, I found another website. This is uh, usaspending.gov. And it breaks down uh, the spending authority of the different departments. And this is really weird because the federal budget for 2023 is about $6.1 trillion. But when I did the math for all of the agencies that get direct uh, spending authority, I came up with $11 trillion. So somebody's either bad at math or there's some duplicate in there that they're not ta- they're not telling us about. But these are these are the top level agencies. A lot of these agencies are they're sub agencies and whatnot. I'm dealing with the top level agencies. So I kind of did the same thing, right? Let me look at these agencies and let me see if they could be exercising a power delegated to the United States. Now, here's where life gets interesting. I went through them, actually looking at my notes here right here. So um of the 108 individual agencies that get spending authority directly from Congress, take a guess at how many are actually exercising powers delegated to the United States. 108 to start with, how many? I say zero. We've already more than zero. What's that? It's got to be more than zero. Well, I mean, I'm we've sorry. already proven that we're horrible at this game. So, <laughs> so just at your show, just come out and say it. It's your show. I don't even want to embarrass right. myself again. 12. Mm, out of how many? 12 agencies out of 108. There are 12 agencies absolutely positively are exercising powers delegated to the United States. There are 15 other agencies that may exercise powers delegated to the United States. Right? So these, these are things where it's like, it's yes, but. Those are yes, buts. Right? Things like, those are the, yeah, they're the yes, buts. So I've got a total of 27 agencies <clears throat> together their combined spending mm-hmm. uh, uh, spending authority is roughly $4.8 trillion, which just happens to be almost exactly the amount of tax revenue the federal government collected in 2022. Now, here's the 800-pound, or I guess the $6 trillion gorilla in the room. <laughs> of the remaining 81 departments, the ones that have are exercising no constitutionally-based authority at all, right? 
six and a half trillion dollars in budgetary resources for those agencies. 60% of the overall spending authority goes to agencies that the court of the constitution don't legally exist. All right. So fiscal year 2022, I'm just going to ask you if you think just a simple yes or no um, on each one. Um, if you think they're constitutional, if they're grounded in, in the constitution, they're allowed to exist. Department of Health and Human Services. No. All right. So far, they are at 27.2% of the uh, obligated amount for 2022 at $2.5 trillion. Wow. Social Security Administration. No. 15.1% at $1.4 trillion so far, 2022. These numbers are as of September 30th. Department of Defense, I think we can all agree on, is probably uh, constitutionally yeah. sound. 1.2 yep. trillion at 13.4 percent. Department of Treasury, yes. One sixteen. Congress has the ability to spend money. Correct. Okay, and, so, you, and so, the you're, coin. so you're batting 500. 16.1 percent at 1.5 trillion. So so far, uh, we have 1.5 trillion, 1.2 trillion. So what is that? 2.7 trillion dollars um, for the good. For the good. Department of Education. We've already talked about 614.7 billion at 6.8 percent. Actually, one of the smaller. We've got Department of Agriculture. No, no. $286.9 billion so far, 2022 department of veterans affairs. Well, this is what I wanted to talk. This is what I wanted to talk about veteran affairs, because it's a tentacle of something that is constitutional, which is the military. Right. But I guess the question would be then once those veterans come home, is that the state's issue? Is that the state? It is the state pick up taking care of yes, those veterans. Yes, but they're talking about 377,000 employees. And I know you have the number in front of you. Let's see if they match because in 2022, it was $112 billion, And one year later for fiscal year 2023, they're requesting $301 billion, which well, is- Well, so far, so far as of September 30th, they're at $283.5 billion. So when their fiscal year of 2022 was 112 billion for their annual. So they blew their budget because they know they can because they're dealing with not monopoly money. But that's one of those uh, yes, buts because it's so uh, it's connected to that. They get smaller from here, sure. but we got department of transportation. That one I'm curious about. That's a no. A federal department of transportation is a no. Okay. 268.9 no. billion dollars. Tell me, tell me where in the constitution no, there it's, it's, it's it, okay. This is your show, but it's show me in the constitution. <laughs> show me in the constitution. That's how you have to say it. Okay. So try that again. <laughs> it's your show, but we're but the your show, but you got to use Jim's lines. So it's show me in the constitution and say it with some, say it with some bravado. Show me in the constitution where the United States has the power to regulate transportation. They don't, they can regulate interstate commerce. I guess that's where I was confused. Right? Now, here's, the, here's two things to consider. So, they can regulate interstate commerce and foreign commerce. It doesn't say they can regulate everything in commerce or anything that might pass through commerce. It has to be actual, they, they can regulate the commerce itself. Meaning, you and I, we live in different states, right? If I wanted to sell you stuff, Congress can set the rules for how Paul sells stuff to Dan and James. Congress doesn't have any authority to regulate what Paul sells in commerce, only the fact that, yes, this is how commerce is going to happen between states. So this is off your usaspending.gov. And I went to Explore, um, Spending Explore. If everybody will just go there and look, it is amazing. And that's where I'm getting all these numbers from. 
And, and I'm going to let you go here, Paul, but I, and I don't need a yes or a no here, but there are so many departments that you're not even aware of, right? Everybody knows about education, health and human services. Everybody knows about treasury and, um, uh, department of defense, but you've got things in here. Um, like the office of personnel management, $229.6 billion department of Homeland security. I think we, we could argue that one, uh, 133.2 billion, but then you get into the smaller ones here like HUD, Department of Justice, Department of the Interior, but but then the Small Business Administration, right? You wouldn't think about that, but they're taking $35 billion of your dollars so far. You've got the Agency for International Development. You've got Department of Labor. You've got Department of Energy. You've got Department of State. You've got the Corps of Engineers, which is Civil Works, Federal Communications, uh, NASA, uh, Department of Commerce, Environmental Protection Agency, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, National Science Foundation, Corporation for National Community Service. I mean, all in all of these, there's nothing here so far that is less than a billion dollars. Federal Deposit so, Insurance you, Corporation. I got two things for you to consider. So, as I said, when I did when I wrote this article, sixty percent. When I say the number one, six point five trillion dollars in budgetary spending are going to these departments and agencies that don't really exist. Now, the problem is, trillion's a big number, and most people don't really, can't really wrap their head around millions of, a million millions, or, or a thousand billion. So, consider this. If you were to stack one trillion dollars in $100 bills, that stack would be something like 613 miles high. That is twice the altitude of the International Space Station. And that's why it's, 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 it's fake money. It is fake money because you can't wrap, like he you said, can't, you, cannot you can't print wrap, that. You, you can't print it. You can't wrap your mind around how much money that is that they're blowing through. $100 bills. Do you remember when, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Department of Education, if we were talking about $614.7 billion that they've spent in 2022, that would have been outlandish, right? They, they, were, they weren't even passing national budgets or, or anything like that in the 90s for that much right, money. Right. That would have been just absolutely mind-blowing. Now, as soon as somebody says, well, they're only spending 600 billion, you're like, oh, that's not that bad. It's not at least it's not over a trillion. Yeah, it's not a trillion dollars for God's sake. Well, there's another way to look at it as well. If you if, if I my numbers are correct, it's 6.5 trillion dollars in money is spent that's not legally authorized by the Constitution. If we were to simply stop spending that money, the federal budget would be balanced instantaneously. Right? Not over that. Instantaneously, the budget would be balanced. So the romantic, some, the romantic view of this is for us to get rid of everything, right? And that would be great. Wake up tomorrow and we're right back to the Constitution. But that's not reality. The problem, exactly. Because the other part of this cost that nobody thinks of is the cost of complying with the regulations that these agencies create. And you've got the cost in dollars that they consume. Me and you talked so about that last week. Regulations, exactly. It's and terrible. that was amazing because I had never, I had never even entertained that thought. So it's, it's not only how much the government is spending, it's how much your state has to spend to comply with their regulations. And that's your state, your business, your every business. And that's, I mean, that's really a, unseen a money. Every that's, individual has a cost of compliance. You're talking about Department of Education, $614 billion. Yeah. But that's not including the money 
that your state now has to spend, that your district has to spend, that you're spending as yes. a taxpayer, doesn't include any of that. It's it, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing once you start looking at it. It really is. And it, it's infuriating. So it, it would be apocalyptic if we were to just do away with these overnight. We have to remember, we spent 150 years pretty much making this mess, right? If you go all the way back, you know, I can trace back to 150 years. Yeah, you know, during the 60s and 70s, during, in 1910s, it went nuts. In the 60s and 70s, it went nuts. In the um, middle, you know, the 2010s, it went nuts. But we spent decades and decades making this mess. We are not going to fix it overnight. What we have to do is start fixing it. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. With the education system, with the way these these generations are being brought up now, do you trust these generations now and future to fix this problem? Uh, not based on the public, what is euphemistically called the public education, it's a government education. A government, government-run schools, right? That's, so, that's yeah, usually what we call right. them. And it's one of the reasons why I, I, why I travel the country saying, don't leave your education in the hands of the government. They screw up everything they touch. Even if you don't pull your kids out of public school, you should be educating yourself and educating them on what the Constitution actually says. Because, remember, they're the ones that are going to take you in nursing home. And if you don't educate them on how to be free today, come time to pick your nursing home, that nursing home is going to be run by some federal bureaucracy. If that doesn't care, it depends off you. I don't know what does. That's an old joke. <laughs> Let's leave the jokes to me, Chief. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's your show. I can't say that. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about the number of federal employees, and I had it. At about $18 million. I don't know if you have any numbers that, that can say it's any more or any less. All eight, I haven't looked it up. Okay, but all $18 million, uh, there has to be at least, a, even if you were to say $5 million. Let's, let's just use the number $5 million, counting the servicemen, counting everything that is constitutional. So let's say you know, you're down to twelve or $13 million. You're talking about the whole state of Pennsylvania yeah. would be out of a job tomorrow. If, right. we, if we cut them loose, if we're lucky, if we gave them the pink slip. We gave him the old Elon Twitter, your services are no longer needed pink slip. Walking through the offices like, well, why are you sitting on this couch? What is your job here? Did you hear about that when he did that? He would walk through and he asked, he, he would see people just lounging around and he's like, what is it you do here? And they're like, I collect checks. Yeah. He's like, you're no longer needed. He was yeah. firing people just walking through the halls. I want that to be my job with why the government. Do you think, I think the number is three of the five richest counties in the United States border Washington, D.C. Wow. Three of the five wealthiest counties in the United States. Yeah. Border. And if you, and if we decided to make Houston, Texas, or let's use Dallas, Texas as the new Washington, D.C., then it would only take about a year and a half before all the counties around that become the richest counties. Right. Exactly. Because it's, it's not a question of geography. It's a question of locus of power. So as the government has assumed more and more power and influence, two things happen. One is it attracts people who are attracted to power and influence. That means they are less concerned about the, most of us would consider the ethics of it, and more concerned with how do I maintain and exercise power. The other part is it also attracts money, because people who have money like to buy influence and power. It becomes this you know, positive feedback loop that we've been living through, because the American people are more than happy to get their checks from government, rather than uh, actually standing up and saying, no, this is, this is unconstitutional. 
I remember having this discussion with my grandfather many, many years ago about Social Security. He, he used to say he wanted Social Security so he wouldn't be a burden on his children. I used to ask him, I said, where do you think Social Security is getting their money? He goes, well, I contribute. He says, first of all, that money was blown before you got anywhere near it. Right. Besides, have you collected more money than you put in? And I knew how old he was. I had a pretty good idea. The answer was yes. Where do you think that money's coming from? But then I made him an offer that he never took up. It, it, it kind of stifled the conversation. I said, I promised him right there in front of the whole family. I said, you give up Social Security. I will pay for you and my grandmother's retirement. And I guarantee you, in the money that, they, that Social Security collects from me, if I were to give it to my family members, you would end up with more money in your pocket. If we wiped out Social Security. Now, that would be true for every family, right? I had a very lucrative career. I made good money. You know, but if this dependence on the well, government will do it, we forget that. I forget the last time this went through. There was one of those um, agencies that looks at um, the charities, right? And it looks at the books and the charities. And the rule of thumb is if more than 30% of the donations are burned on administration, it's a scam. Right? That's kind of the rule of thumb. Most better charities running on less than 10%. So you give them a, a dollar, 90 cents of that goes to where you're asking it to go to. They burn it no more than 10%. In the federal government, of every dollar allocated towards some sort of charity, right, welfare, social guess how much actually gets in the hand of the person who needs help? None of it. Yeah. Zero. I'm still at zero. <laughs> the, the federal government takes close. a 70% cut. Mm-hmm. They are, by definition, when it comes to charity, they are a scam. Sounds about right. So, one of the things here that I found, which when we talk about trillions, this is going to be nothing. Nobody's even going to care. We're shooting it out of a money cannon. So, exactly. <laughs> Just print. Got my Epson printer working overtime at home. Uh, unreported data. $116.2 billion. $116.2 billion in the wind. Unreported data? That's what it says. Unreported. Mm. Yeah, who knows? But if you're dealing with no, $6 that's, trillion, no, that's, that's, that's a rounding error. See, Jim, that's black ops money. Yeah. That's that money that, that the CIA is like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We need so, money. and you think they fund Area Fifty One, right? Well, well, let's well, let's take the law enforcement. Oh, Area Fifty One. Let's go. Let's law, my dad in here. Let's go, Jim's dad. Let's go to the law enforcement aspect of this. Law enforcement is states till it becomes federal agencies, FBI, CIA, NSA, all that. Uh, where are you at on those guys? Well, understand. No, that's where you're supposed to like act like we're closing out the show. As always, I appreciate. <laughs> oh, me? No, he. If he knew the show, he'd be doing it. Oh. <laughs> Since it is his show. Yeah. There's yeah. while we're talking about this, he's going to get a knock on his door. Right? <laughs> we're not. All we are is on a phone call. He's going to yeah. be talking about this. They're going to be like, "Oh, hold on, guys, I got to go. There's somebody at my door." Yeah. And they say, "Hello." Um, no, but understand. Outside of federal land, there are very few federal crimes, legitimate federal crimes. Murder outside of D.C. and other federal property is not a federal crime. Mm -hmm. 
kidnapping is not a federal crime. You think of all the stuff that the FBI is playing with, most of it has nothing to do with an actual legitimate federal law because Congress has no authority to legislate outside of the District of Columbia, forts, magazines, dockyards, neutral buildings. Most of what turns into a federal crime is we want we want to scare people with a big bad Uncle Sam boogeyman. So most of what they are doing is constitutional. It's not that they don't constitutionally exist, it's that their powers have been expanded far beyond what the Constitution authorizes. And part of the reason for that is because the courts, since they don't actually reinstate the Constitution, say you know what? There's a compelling government interest, so we can violate the Constitution. That that is practically a daily refrain out of federal courts. Department of Homeland Security, probably okay, right? I mean, they're going to fall under the yes. umbrella. It, it's going to be iffy, right? It says, what are they doing as part of Homeland Security? Yeah, well, but are they I mean, a no but or a yes but? Party? I like I like the yes buts. No, I like the no buts. Ah, I don't like any buts at all. <sighs> Well, for example, that's what we want from Paul. We're like, we're like IRS. He's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, IRS does legally exist. I'm sorry. I know. But you talk about Homeland Security, right? The Coast Guard, they're exercising a a protect, a calm defense of the union that is constitutional. The TSA, absolutely not. Yeah. So there's a lot of these where, you know, it's that some parts do and some parts don't. So TSA, is there to protect the planes, right? The flights to keep terrorists off. I mean, that's what they say. So if TSA does not exist federally, is that up to each state in your estimation to be taking care of their own airports? Yes. They're they're municipal properties. Yeah. This idea that suddenly these are federal property because the, you know, we got scared after nine 11 was ludicrous before nine 11 all the security at the at the, at the um, airports was handled by the state or the local law enforcement They're, because it was a municipal property. The interesting thing is the law that created the TSA, legally, the airports can opt out. Not one that I know have, has actually opted out. For, for fear of losing federal dollars like everybody else? Probably. You know, it's weird. So I don't even remember a time. Cameras, I don't remember a world where the federal government wasn't searching my bags. Hmm. I don't. See, I, I remember back, this was years ago. I was working in corporate America. I was living outside of Albany, New York, and I would fly to Rochester and Buffalo for the day. I would literally drive up to the airport, grab my bag, walk inside, go through security, which took me a grand total of 30 seconds as I walked through. You know, I put my stuff on the, on the belt, my bag on the belt, keys, coins, walk through a magnetometer, grab my stuff on the other side, I would pick up a cup of coffee, I would walk down to the gate, I would show them my driver's license, they would hand me a ticket, and I would walk onto the plane. And half the time, I never sat down, because I yeah. was never there that long. If I got to the airport 15 minutes before my flight, I could make my flight. Man. Yeah, you know, and I I mean I know I went through it. I just don't I don't remember it. I don't remember ever that's not what, standing what, in line. That's what they want. They want you to be okay with being a sheep, Jim. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't I don't fly very much. I don't, I don't. the funny part is TSA is when it comes to effectiveness, they're a joke. TSA is not about actually stopping terrorism. It's about making people feel better. 
oh, we have security. I feel safe now. And security doesn't work. Every year they do a test. They right. they have people walking with fake guns and, and explosives and like 90 plus percent of the stuff actually gets through. Yep. You so know, and, and you know, when you're, when you're going through and you, you see TSA, you know, over there patting down some grandma in a wheelchair. And meanwhile, uh, you know, you've got people that should be getting screened that are, and you know what, I'll say it. I don't care. I mean, w- the fact is this country was attacked by Islamic terrorists. And when, when they're not getting the scrutiny, but a grandmother who's in a wheelchair is, you know, it's a joke. You know, it is just a feel good. We don't, we're not really trying to stop anything organization. Um, the problem is they want to be, don't be fair. Right, so we have and to be fair. We can't actually look at people and, and say, you know what? I think you're more likely to be a terrorist. You know what's interesting is Israel. Now Israel was the locus of uh, airplane hijacking and attacks for yeah. many, many, many years, and they developed a, a system. And the last time I checked, one, it did take quite longer to get through, uh, but one of the things that Israel did was they didn't have uniform. They had uniform people, right? They had plainclothes people observing. They looked like passengers. They were observing, and they were looking for certain telltale behaviors that warranted extra scrutiny. So if you were sitting in the, in the, in the waiting room and you kept checking your bag every few minutes, you'd probably get pulled aside for, they'd mark you, right? They'd identify you. You'd get pulled aside for extra screening because you were acting on. They based it on, a, an actual threat, not on um, we have to be fair and piss everybody off. And well, we've talked about profiling before on this show, and profiling is not a dirty word, right? Profiling strictly based on race, horrible. Profiling based on criminal indicators, done every day with great yeah. success. But by every one of us. Yeah, well, true, right? And, and Same thing. Listen, even if you're not law enforcement, well, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. You're in the grocery store with your family and you see some sketchy guy in there, right? Looking around, standing around by the registers. You're like, hey, we're going to the back of the store for a little bit, right? You're not profiling that guy based on anything other than your gut. Your gut is telling you, your brain is telling you, this ain't right. Something's wrong here. Funny story. I think I said before, my mother was a sergeant in the NYPD auxiliary. Uh, so she she was it, she was encountered a lot of this in that time. There was a, a television program. I'm drawing a blank on the name. It was a one of the crime procedurals, right, based around an NYPD precinct. And the very first episode, there's this tall, well dressed, well mannered black man walking in with this scruffy, scraggly, homeless looking person. And as they got to the sergeant's desk. The scruffy looking person pulled out his badge and said, I'm arresting him for this, that, and the other thing. And my mother laughed hysterically because she'd seen it a hundred times before. You know, it's it's difficult to judge based on a strictly outward appearance, but when you see certain actions, your attention goes up. We all do it. And you know, if, if we ignore that, every self-defense training program I've been through has, has said. When you ignore your instincts, that's when you get in trouble. Sure. And I wouldn't have a problem with TSA if that's what they were doing. If TSA was truly trained on human behavior and, you know, and those were the people that were pulling aside, but this random 
you know, pulling over grandma in her wheelchair. Now, can grandma be pulling a bomb into a plane on a wheelchair? I guess, right? But uh, come on. I mean, if gra- yeah. if grandma is just a yeah. grandma, you know, why are we wasting our time with her and we're letting a 23-year-old, you know, Saudi Arabian national get on a plane at JFK, you know, without at least talking to the guy? Because they, they're scared yeah. to profile somebody, somebody showing up with a bag uh, and uh, no luggage and uh, one-way ticket, you know, all those little things. My issue with the TSA, again, it's not constitutional. But the other part is, think about it. As a government employee, it's near impossible to fire anyone. There are no consequences right. for bad behavior. Yep, yep. If you had it, if, if the cities and the states were contracting people who had a professional uh, responsibility, right? Okay, you know, you realize, you know, X number of, of you know, false uh, call outs and you, know, you use a contract or you pay a fine or you know these people have to get fired then at least there would be there'd be some balance to it right there'd be consequences for bad behavior there should be rewards for good behavior you're encouraging these companies uh, and these individuals to do a good job because they'll be rewarded at the same time you're discouraging them from doing a bad job because they'll be punished right now that doesn't happen you're doing with a government job. It's the exact opposite. Why does everyone want a government job or a county job? Because they know no matter what happens, it's smooth sailing. It's 20 and out. Great money. service. How about them bennies? How about their retirement? Like, yep. it's just inflated craziness. And I, and I can't be mad at them for wanting to get that gig. So how do we fix this? How people that are listening here. What are the first steps we should take to start fixing this? And I know you've said, look, this took us 100 years to get here. 150 years to get here, we're, we're not getting out of this in our lifetime. Right. But how do we start fixing this? Because it is well, so overwhelming. When people look at this, everybody who's listening to this is thinking, well, I mean, what can I do, right? I just work at a, a doctor's office. Who am I? What can I do to stop this? Here's the thing. There's nothing you can do to stop this. I know all your, your audience just fell out okay. of the chair. As I always, we appreciate your... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining individually, us. Individually, none of us have the ability to change this. The, the evidence is clear. I mean, just look at Trump tried to change things and got hammered for it. And he did more than a lot of other people. What you can do is make your life better. That's why I tell people to focus at the local and county level. That's why I tell people to meet with their sheriff. And make sure that the sheriff that they hire will protect their rights, not simply be a rubber stamp for whatever state or federal law comes down the pike. Same with your county commissioners. Find your neighbors. Once you start educating people, once you start, and by educating, I don't mean you need to learn this. I mean, showing people, hey, do you know what? There's a benefit to living free rather than as a slave to government. See, then what happens is not only do you do you have a better life yourself, so there's a benefit right off the bat. Hey, I don't worry about the, the same things I used to worry about because I know I've got rights and I know how to exercise them. As we start showing that to other people, now, A, you've got people to back you up. Right? If you do it all by yourself, you're a target. You get a group of people, there's safety in numbers. We start making changes. We start making changes that, that eventually percolates up to the state because we're hiring better people to represent us in the state. And once we start taking control of the states, once the state legislatures are constitutionally sound, once our governors understand the constitution of their state and of the United States and how to follow them, 
DC takes care of itself. DC becomes immaterial once the states start acting as sovereign states again. I don't know, Jimmy. Sounds kind of anti-government to me, buddy. (laughs) I guess I appreciate what you're saying. I do. I I appreciate what you're saying about the local governments, and and we preach that. The local governments. Starts there. Meeting with your sheriff. But I feel like not just interacting with your local governments, that going to your state government as a step one or a step two and saying, hey, look, this is bullshit. You need to stop acquiescing to the to the Fed. Three dollar word. You need sorry, Dan. That means you need to stop giving <laughs> in. Get you need to stop giving in to the Fed. Stop. You know what? If that means our taxes are going to go up for a little bit because we have to pay for these services now, then so be it. But at least I know my money's staying here. The states need to start becoming you. free, and they're not. Let me ask you: when when you are hired by the police department. Um, did you go right into the field or did you get training first? All right. I don't like where this is going, Paul. I don't <laughs> listen. I, I'm not, I'm not just some lackey that's going to answer your questions without, without it's looking his two show. Steps answer at, his question. I got training first, Paul. All right. That's that you're right. You got training and that's part of what this understanding. See, if you walk up to your state legislator or your governor, right? If you aren't armed with facts, if you can't pull my two-minute drill and and use something like that to get their attention, you get shot down, you get discouraged, and then it's harder to do it the next time. You dig out to your county mayor, to your sheriff, you begin to build your, your, your knowledge and your repertoire so that, one, when you go to the, to the state legislature and say, hey, wait a second – do you realize that this is unconstitutional? Do you realize that the federal government is infringing on your rights? Do you realize that this is costing you more money than you're getting from the federal government? If you go alone, they're going to say, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Here's a pen. You go as a group because you've got a group of people that have been educated that can answer their questions. You have more of an impact. Yes, it takes time, but it's the type of thing that has a long-term impact rather than the short-term thrill of, well, I went up and I told them what was what, and they do absolutely nothing. Is it a gel pen or a ballpoint? <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, a, listen, a nice pen. I might sell out for a nice pen. And now for part two of Paul's show, we have Jim's field training officer on the phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, Larry, go ahead, buddy. Let's t- <laughs> yeah, I got a little nervous there. You picked up your phone. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> What's interesting is, Everybody's going to be at different places. Everybody's going to have different levels of exposure, experience, knowledge. We use what we have and then we build on it. Now, one of the things, you know, I I get asked this all the time. If I could change one thing in the Constitution, what would it be? I always say there are two things I would change in the Constitution. Uh, The first thing I would do is I would put limits on Congress's ability to borrow on the credit of the United States. The second is I would repeal the 16th and 17th Amendment. And here we go. (laughs) Now, episode two. (laughs) Well, you know what? I actually, uh, let me pull it up here real quick. Well, while you're looking that up, Jim, um, I've been getting emails from people, and what he's saying is people need to do things a little bit differently. And someone here just on a recent email that I had said, Jim always stresses that no one's coming for us, and then it's up to us to save ourselves. Well, that may be true, but grassroots level activity does not seem to be working either. Too much corruption. One person right there, that's that's basically given up on it. 
Well, and, and, I think and that's, that's the problem, man. That's the, and just the other week, right? I was like, I'm trying to be, I was getting discouraged. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I look at this stuff just like always, right? What did Herschel Walker lose by? Less than a percent, I think. No, for on the runoff, yeah. it was like 2%. Oh, it was 2%? Still, it was still 100,000 Because when votes. I saw it, it was only by like 14,000 votes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so it was, but still, I mean, it's just every single time, man. It's like 1% here, 1% it's 51, there. 49. Oh, you know what? We just found a flash drive. Oh, Warnock wins. I, that's the kind of shit that just seems to happen. Now, that didn't happen in this case, I'm just saying. Yeah. But that's the kind of shit that happens. And when you see it happen, I get it. I get why people are being... Uh, you know, are, are getting discouraged, are not mm-hmm. trusting the system anymore. And you're right. You know, uh, some of the grassroots stuff is corrupted, but I stand by my statement. Nobody is coming to save us. Cause you, that's factual. You cannot trust the government no. to come save you. The government is enslaving you. They are not saving you. They are leading you to believe they're saving you by creating problems that they are then coming in to fix by them coming to fix them. You are giving up more and more and more rights. You are taking more and more and more money. You are becoming more and more and more dependent on them. Mm-hmm. Nobody is coming to save you. There is going to come a point where we are going to have to stand up and we are going to have to tell the federal government. We're going to have to tell our States. We we are done. This is the sovereign state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And Blystone, that was his thing, yeah. right? We are the sovereign state of Ohio. If we need you, federal government, if we need your help, we will tell you we need your help and you can come in to help us. But that's other, not the status quo for people. Other than that, scared. They're leave scared. us alone. They're scared. Well, they're scared because they don't but, understand. They don't understand the power they have and the yes, power that they're But their just like you, you don't remember a time where you've not had the government checking your bags. And all of us around here don't ever remember a time where the federal government wasn't this big. So Paul right now is checking his mic. He's like, I keep trying to get in there. And he's he's guys, like, is this my I show muted? or not? <laughs> Am I muted right let now? Me because- the, let me tell you the last <laughs> sentence that this guy put in here. And, and it's not really relevant, but it's, it's, it, it well, speaks to what he's going through. It, after he said too much corruption, he said either that or the hopium being peddled by the red pill pushers is bullshit. Hopium. That's actually brilliant. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a brilliant word. I'll tell you what, I, I fully expect hopium to be in one of Paul's upcoming episodes. Now, now, and that's true because the hopium of when we get to House, when we get to Senate, we're going to hold what they them always say, right? And they we're never do. Just vote Mitch in. Right. Just vote McCarthy in. Just <laughs> they never do. Paul, go it's ahead. I'm going to mute. I'm going to mute me and Dan right now. Go ahead. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I keep telling people. Don't put your trust in political parties. There is no such thing as a rhino because Republicans are there for the Republican Party, not to be conservative or constitutional. But there are two very important things that, that I, I'd like to address. First is I understand the discouragement. Right? I, I spend six days a week working on this stuff. I spend six days a week doing this. And trust me, I probably see more of the nonsense than most people do. But here's the thing I, I, I want you to remember when it comes to the grassroots. The thing about grassroots is we are not all identical. We have to be willing to work together where we agree and be willing to disagree where we don't. This idea of a, of a uniform, hey, we're all going to march in lockstep and take over this place, it's not going to work. There's a story from the uh, – I actually heard this from a rabbi talking about the Bible. In Israel – when they built an altar to, to God, they were not allowed to chisel the stones. They had to take the stones, natural as is, make them fit together to build this altar. Now compare that to the Tower of Babel, which was built with bricks. Bricks are uniform. Bricks are man-made. 
we are constantly being pushed to be bricks. To be a brick, everything unique about you has to be cut off. From the grassroots standpoint, if you have a group of people, I do a lot of grassroots organizations. You have if if you want to have all these organizations be in lockstep, they have to give up something. And the problem with that is then they're pissed off because they're not getting what they want. We have to be willing to show up and say, we are different. How can we work together where we agree? There's a group I, I participate in a, in a conference call every week with uh, there in Illinois. And there's a lot of stuff we agree on. Whether we agree on them, we have these wonderful discussions. There's stuff we disagree on. And we have these interesting debates, shall we say. That's okay. I know groups that are, that are big in, in convention of the states and others that, that are big in, in you know, this process and that process. And the Republicans have to win or the, the conservatives have to win or a third party. If we can agree to work together where we agree and then debate pleasantly, congenially, where we disagree, then we move forward. The problem with most of the grassroots is it's got everyone assumes it's got to be all or nothing. Right. If and I don't, if you don't exactly match up with me, I can't work with you. Yep. That's where it all falls. Apart. And that you are a hundred percent correct on that. I mean, it, it, that is that is the thing, right? If you are not with us, you're against us. Well, hold on. Yes. I'm with you seventy five percent, but you know what? I think we could talk about this twenty five percent, and we talk about it. And maybe ten percent of that gets thrown aside. Five percent, we meet in the middle. And the other 75%, man, we're rolling, we're rolling on it. But nobody's oh, willing to do that. There, there are very few. There are a few, but you're right. There are very few to say, yes, you know, uh, a, a, a pick whatever your topic is and work together on that. You, you talked about the, uh, the Senate runoff in Georgia and the fact that you know, Herschel Walker lost by whatever it was. You know me. I know the GOP is not coming to save us. It ain't happening. Right? They're going to come in and do the exact same stupid stuff they did the last time they were in charge. You got to remember that uh, a lot of our debt was authorized by a Congress controlled by GOP. Mm-hmm. Right? But we can still agree as to who's the better candidate. But here's the interesting thing. That Georgia election, the election, each and every election that people participate in starts with your county board of electors. Yes, there are state laws, but the election process itself starts at the county board of elections. They set up the precincts. They're in control of making sure the ballots are cast, collected, and tabulated. So if you want to fix elections, where's the best place to start? Your county board of elections. Oh, I was going to say ballot harvesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn it. But it's it's one of those things. What I say sounds weird. But if you look at it in, in, again, in the real world, that's where you can, you can make a much bigger difference at your county board of electors than you can at your state legislature. And the thing is, again, if you're at your county board of electors and you show, hey, what about this? What about that? How do we then fix it? Then as a group, you can go to your state legislature and say, we would like to change this election law. Here is why. Here's what we want. Here's mm-hmm. how we can help you do yep. this. And the higher you climb, not, the weaker the backbone gets of the person in charge because they just want to get reelected. Yeah. That's what I see. Which is why you need more and more people to scare the pants off of them. Again, you show up in so-and-so's office. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You show up with a dozen people, maybe you get some attention. You show up with a hundred people, 
Okay, you show up with a thousand people, ten thousand people, a hundred thousand people. That's how these things change. But the in order for that to work, there's got to be some common understanding about whatever topic it is you're working on. If it's and again, you may be working with one group on elections. There may be another group you're working with on on say you know gun on, on civil rights around firearms there may be another one dealing with you know fourth amendment or, or free speech issues that's okay one group doesn't have to do everything and you don't have to be with the entire, everything that that group does you can still work together but they still have to be united they need they need to be united under one cause and we always joke around and you may go back to one of our first episodes where we contacted the independent american party because in my mind i was like everyone can just be under this umbrella (laughs) of of being independent and you can be right center left left center right whatever you want to be but if we're going to take the power away from these two and make shit happen we're going to have to do it under an independent marker and then not be the third party or the outcast you'll make the outcast the other two parties because we got a lot of sensible people sitting here in america so we cold call we found the independent party of america independent american party independent american party yeah there's two of them one's horrible one's trying to do the right thing yes independent american party we found them online and while we were recording, we just cold called them. We cold called the number that was on there. Well, it went to like some old guy's house. So we call him and he answers. He goes, hello. <laughs> and, and away we went. And we're like, hey, we're live here on the. <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> so he's telling us about like, you know, ah, one of our, was it Truman? The guy whose administration yeah. he was in? I think it was. He was telling us how like one of his people. Well, no, they, the head, the leader. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, yeah. He, who had just died. Yeah. Because he fell and broke his hip. Yeah. yeah he was part of Truman's administration. Eisenhower. And, yeah. Or maybe it was Eisenhower. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it was ridiculous. Right. So we we come to find out this entire independent American party is a bunch of eighty year olds. Not even. I mean, <laughs> I mean, eighty was a young guy. Like they were ninety year olds that were trying to you know, but. No social media presence. We're we asked like, him about we're like, Twitter. Kind of, we're like, what kind of reach do you have? He's like, we got twenty one. We got an email list of twenty one hundred. <laughs> like, wait, what? So you know, and that's what we're up against here. Oh. I, I, I just, I don't know. It's but you see what I'm saying, Paul. I mean, this is your show, but this you see what I'm saying. Where if we all came together as independents to to show both these parties, we got to get back to financial responsibility and, and all this other stuff, it, would, it, it wouldn't take long. But we'd have to make the hard choices. But, but like anything else, if, you know, if, if you're trying to herd cats, you got to teach the cats there's a reason why they should listen to you, isn't, isn't there? You know, it, it, it's, it's one of the things. The thing about being the, about liberty and, and civil liberty, as defined by Noah Webster in 1828, paraphrased, is the right to live your life as you see fit without unnecessary external influence. Now, if we believe in liberty, that means we need to be that we believe that we can disagree, but we can still get stuff done where we do agree. And if we're not going to allow people to disagree, whether they have a good reason or not, then we don't believe in liberty. And if we don't believe in liberty, what's this all about? Can I say you could have picked a better uh, example than cats because cats would be the equivalent of like anarcho libertarians. So that's my point. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess then I guess it was a good, you know, dogs, we can explain to dogs why they need to listen to us. Cats are just like F you cat chat. Yeah. Church, we did. We just got two new cats. And I'm, 
I think there's not a night goes by I don't want to kill him. Yeah, well, uh, I'm still I'm still looking for. Trust me, th- there's not a night go by that they don't want to kill you too. So there's not a night that won't go by where if you die in your home and you're by yourself, they will eat your face and not care, and then and then be mad at you for not getting up and feeding them. Exactly, and they'll probably piss on you. All right, listen, we've uh, I I want to hit this real quick. I want to hit the Seventeenth Amendment real quick before we go. I sent you an article about Epic Times. Now we'll we'll have you back. We'll talk about the Sixteenth and Seventeenth because I know that's your passion. But I thought this article was pretty pretty cool. Epic Times is claiming or in their opinion piece here, they're saying that it is time to repeal the 17th Amendment now. What they say in this article is, let's talk about the 17th Amendment. It reversed a major part of Article 1 of the Constitution. It reads, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state elected by the people thereof for six years. In other words, the original Constitution had the Senate chosen by the legislature thereof, whereas the new amendment replaced those words with elected by the people. Boom. Disaster ensued. With this amendment, the bicameral structure of the con- uh, of Congress was destroyed. The House and Senate became the same except for cosmetics. I know you want to do away with the 17th, probably the 16th first, but we're talking about the 17th. For people out there that don't understand, so the, the 17th Amendment, basically, so the way the Constitution was written, senators represented the states. They had the state's right in mind, right? Always first and foremost. Yeah, the state as a whole. The state, right. So, Ohio. The, 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 yes. We have a, the, our, our Congress is made up of a bicameral legislature. There's a House of Representatives elected by the people to represent the people. You had the Senate originally um, people elected by the state legislators representing the state's interests. So think about it. Bills, laws, resolutions, spending, declarations of war. You had to get an agreement of the people, of those who represented the people and the states. And there were times when the states would say, hey, look, we understand the Senate at that time who was representing the states would say, look, we understand this is best for the people. We understand this would be a great thing for you. But from a state standpoint, we're going to say, no, this is not good for us. Exactly. But they would turn around and say, this violates our power, our sovereignty. So there was a, the states themselves had a say in federal legislation. Once that was removed, once the Senate became a basically another House of Representatives with a lot more power, by the way, the states no longer had any say. So you think about things like Social Security, Medicare, DACA, uh, funding the, the, the border wall, uh, all spending legislation. Whatever the people wanted, they could get run through. And the senators, well, they they want to get reelected as well, so they want to do what the people want them to do. So they would go along with it. No one was sitting there going, "Well, wait a second, this violates the the rights of the states." Why did we accept the Seventeenth Amendment? I mean, I understand that was in the progressive time, right? You have the Sixteenth, you have the Seventeenth. I think, um, well, no, the Eighteenth. It looks like nineteen nineteen. Both the Sixteenth and Seventeenth, nineteen thirteen. Um, so yes. I understand it was a progressive time, but. How could anybody then think this was a good idea? What was the what was the thinking that we want to take the power away from the states? You know what? We want a popular well, vote present- from the people. It wasn't presented that way. It was presented as, as, wait a second, if we leave this power in the hands of politicians, they might use it to their advantage. Why? They might corruptly place someone, you know, someone may be able to buy their seat in the U.S. Senate or 
not that that happened since then, right? Barack Obama. Right. Uh, remember, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, you coughed right there. Are we going to have to take that <laughs> out? Yeah. yeah, you know, but uh, you know, they, that was it was sold as listen, this is ripe for corruption. We must change it and put it in the hands of the people. <laughs> What's interesting is while there are a handful of allegations of people purchasing their Senate seat, there's only one person ever actually tried. And they, and I don't believe they were convicted, but they used that fear of this could be corrupted by politicians to convince probably the politicians to say, let's kick this off to the, to the people. Then we are not responsible for it. It's not our fault. We do a Han Solo, right? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. That's how they ended up with the 17th Amendment. They never said, oh, by the way, they never stopped and said, then the states have no say in federal legislation anymore. Now the states have no say in the federal in, in federal tax revenues anymore because direct taxes on the income come directly out of your pocket. The states literally gave away the farm because a bunch of politicians said, I don't want to have to deal with it or I'm afraid to be calling me. I mean, if I were to have opposed this, well, you're just anti-democratic. You, you don't believe the people should have a say in it. what they always or, do. It's what they always do, the right? Saying, you're racist. You're homophobic. Democratic. You're anti-democratic. Yeah. You're, you know, that's what they always do. You're just Nick. Yeah. 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 They just, they, they, they want to call you a name and nobody wants to be called names. So we just, we just shut up. If yeah, the 17, the thing, it, go ahead. One that I want you to consider if all they can do is call you names. To me, that means they have no argument. If they had an argument, then they'd make the argument. If they're left to nothing but calling me names, then I know I've won the argument because yeah. all they're left with is name calling. Yep, for sure. If the 17th Amendment had not come along, if the Senate was still beholden to the states, how much of the 90% garbage government would cease? Would have ceased to exist, would have never existed, do you think? And there's no way to prove a counterfactual. There's no way to know. My, I wouldn't even begin to hazard a guess there because so much of the agencies revolve around bribing the states with money. So let's face it, if you're a, you know, if you're a state legislator and the federal government says, we're working on a bill and, and you know, we're going uh, we're gonna to give the states uh, you know, money to uh, implement a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, how many politicians do you know are going to go, now nah, we don't want the money? You know, that's the problem, right? Because <laughs> I, you need somebody strong enough to say, all right, listen. Right now, in Ohio, we're doing okay. But the second you take that extra money and you work that into your budget, it's like guys that work overtime and pay their bills with it, right? Once, mm -hmm. if you live within your base salary, you're okay. But once you start accepting that overtime and you start living within that overtime, you can't be without that overtime. So had those guys from the beginning said, all right, the money sounds really great, but we're doing okay. I think we're going to pass on that we'd have been okay. But once they accept that money the first time, now we're living within that extra money. And it's almost impossible and, to go back from that money. It's funny you're bringing yeah, up money around like around this time in 1913 because that's about the time that the Federal Reserve started showing up. Weird. Mm. Yeah. Weird. But the, the other thing to consider, you know, part of me would like to say, uh, you know, they would look at like Medicaid and Medicare where the federal government says, hey, um, all right, we'll kick in some dough and you kick in some dough and, you know, you get to hold all the responsibility. 
someone would have said, I don't think that's a good deal. But then again, I've dealt with too many politicians who said, oh, they're offering us money. Yeah, it's going to end up costing us more, but we don't care they're offering us money. So I, I don't you know. How can you tell a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. Hey, they, they, they can tell all their constituents, look at all the money we brought you. All they're not going to tell them yeah. how much it's going to cost you to get that money. Ah, look at this. Look because cool. that would be misinformation. It must be silent. <laughs> exactly. All of a sudden. See, he knows. You're, you're not allowed to go live for 90 days now, Congressman. Yeah, get out there and ballot harvest for us. Yeah. Not for them. Uh, all right. Well, Paul, since this is your show, you have to say, you got anything else, Dan? Okay. You got anything else, Dan? I'm telling you what, Paul. A hundred years ago, everyone owned a horse and only the rich had cars. Today, everyone has cars and only the rich have horses. Oh, how the stables have turned. Oh, my God. See, this is... No, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. You just encourage him. This is what he does every time. It's a dad joke. It's the worst dad joke ever. All right. We... Uh, golly. Uh, he is a shoe-in for a worst dad joke. A uh, horseshoe. Uh, horseshoe-in. Oh. Both of you guys are... Oh, both of you are absolutely... I've never horrible. leave the jokes to me, Chief, twice in one episode <laughs> till today. Ugh. Yeah, well, I guess Paul holds that record then, right? He's got to, he he's got to yeah. leave the jokes to me. Chief. Don't make me say it again. Paul, Although well, it's his show, I'll tell you what though. I'll tell you what. Paul's going to give you a run for the money. Paul, man, we appreciate you seriously. Uh, yeah, we can't wait to have you back. We're not um, going to let too many people run this show like you ran it today, <laughs> exactly. or maybe we should. Right? Maybe we should. Maybe that'll be our new yeah. shtick. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll start getting some advertising. <laughs> Listen, we talked a little bit off air about uh, something I want you to look at, and uh, I'd love to have you back to talk about it. I think the people are going to want you back, so don't uh, don't decline our calls when we call. Uh, I've already got you set up on mute, so <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I'm going to have the I'm going to have the cops I'm going to have the cops showing up here with a restraining order on me here soon. So, all right, why don't you tell everyone where to find you real quick again? They can find me at ConstitutionStudy.com. You can find my books on Amazon. You can also listen to my radio program at AmericaOutloud.com. Right on. All right, Paul. Until next time, my brother. All right. We'll see you soon, bud. Thank you. All right. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. As always, we thank you guys for your support. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you could drop us a like, drop us a five-star review, that really helps us out. You can find us on Facebook at Pod Bless America. And you can find us on Twitter at Jim and Dan Show. You can find us on Getter at Pod Bless America. And you can find me at Jim at PBAPodcast.com. And you can find me at Dan at PBAPodcast.com. So until next time, I'm Jim. I'm Dan. And Pod Bless America. <laughs>